Welcome, everyone. Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. Uh, Good to welcome all of you. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We turn a corner this morning. I've just finished the message series called For Worse on Suffering and Marriage. Now I want us to, as a congregation, just begin making that uh, walk to Easter together by just focusing on Christ. Now for the next several Sundays, we'll be in a message series entitled Man of Sorrows, and we're just simply going to come back to Jesus, come back to his example to us, and walk that long road to Calvary with him, get ready to celebrate resurrection. Brian Ahern in Perry, Oklahoma, I haven't said hello to you in a long time, brother. I love you. I love everything that's happening at Church on the Square and Bakehouse. Uh, all of you in cafe worship, I love you guys. Uh, take your Bibles, worship together with us. Let's, uh, let's look to the Word of God. Philippians chapter 2 is where we'll be. If we're going to imitate Christ, if he is our example, if he's the one who's going to help us to live forward in this life, then I guess it all starts with attitude. Uh, Attitude is everything, they say, and, and I suppose that it is. One Monday, my wife had asked me just to switch the laundry. Casey figures if she can, you know, get the laundry in the washer and and get everything going, then the least I could do would, would be just to be able to switch it, you know, take it out of the washer, put it in the dryer. That sounds easy, doesn't it? It sounds really easy. The, the thing is, I just forget, y'all. I mean, the washer just cuts off, and I don't notice that. And so uh, that particular day, the clothes sat in the washer for, well, for all day. Uh, y'all know what happens when laundry just sits in, in, in the washer? It sits, and then it, you know, it, it, it sours, and, the, you know, it stinks, you know. So um, I stuck my nose in there because I know that happens, and Casey can smell that from work. You know, she can, she can smell that. But I thought it was okay, so I threw it in the dryer. The clothes came out. I folded them. I, I thought that I, I had done okay. I didn't really realize that the clothes were that bad until the next day, the Tuesday, when I came in to work and I put a shirt on that had been in that load of wash. I didn't think about it. I wasn't thinking about it. I knew that when I got in my car, I thought to myself, this car stinks. This car stinks. I did. And, and then I came in my office before staff meeting, and I walked in my office, and I thought, this office stinks. This office stinks. And then I went on in, into staff meeting, and I was sitting there beside Rod and Matt, and I'm thinking, either Matt or Rod stink. You know, and I thought I knew which one. You know, it, either Rod or, or, or Matt, they, they stink. And, and then finally, uh, I went back in my office after staffing and thought, man, the whole world stinks. Man, everything stinks. And then I thought, yeah, it was me. I stunk. It's a hard thing for me to admit. It was me the whole time. It wasn't the car. It wasn't the office. It wasn't Matt or Rod, which breaks my heart. It was me, y'all. It, it, it was me. I was the one who, who stunk. Attitude is like that. Attitude is like that. You, you carry it with you. It's like the stink that, that just goes with you. And you think that it's everybody else. You think it's the people that you work with. You think it's your, your, your crazy family. You think it's the people at church. You, you, you imagine that somehow the problem is with everybody else. But the problem is very, very often my attitude, your attitude. And I'm just reminding you that goes with you. And it affects the way you perceive everything. It will affect the way you see and smell and react and every single situation. Attitude really might be everything, which is why Paul in Philippians chapter 2 tells us that we need a new one. So chances are you and I both need a new attitude after Christ. So let's take a look at how we get that new attitude. It comes from Philippians chapter 2. Let's start with verse 1. This is really good, really good scripture. Follow with me. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind, one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was not, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you and now that I am away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is working in you, giving you both the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Let's stop there. How would you define attitude? Somebody. What's attitude? You've got it. Some of you got a lot of it. How would you define attitude? Somebody? Disposition on how you view things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's your disposition. It's, it's the way that you view things. Now, it's inward. Attitude is, is inward. It's, it's got something to do with the way you think. It's got something to do with the way your, your emotions are set. Uh, absolutely. It's that, it's that inner way of thinking that's going to come out in your behavior. It's, it's, it's the way you think. It's, it's your inner disposition, as Warren says. But it always comes out. It always comes out in the way that you behave. And this is the tension that Paul sets up at the beginning of this passage. He starts with a series of rhetorical questions. These are questions for which the answer is obviously yes. Okay, verse 1, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Now, the assumption is, of course, that you belong to Christ. If you don't belong to Christ, then you don't know what we're talking about here. But Paul's writing to the church. He assumes that they belong to Christ. So he can say, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? And everybody's going to say, yes, of course, yes. Any comfort from his love? Yes, Of course you know his love, you belong to him, and if you know his love, then you know the comfort of his love. Of course there's comfort in his love. 
Is there any fellowship together in the spirit? Of course, yes. If you belong to Christ and if you know his love, then you know the fellowship of his people. Yes, of course. Yes, fellowship in the spirit. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Oh, yes. Yes, our hearts are tender because we belong to Jesus and because we know his love and because we know the fellowship of his spirit. Yes, our hearts are tender and compassionate. So then verse 2, Paul says, well then... Well then, you understand? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together. You see, Paul kind of puts his finger right there on the tension. It's the tension between what they say they've experienced in Christ. It's the tension between all of the realities of belonging to Christ and knowing his love and the fellowship in the spirit and having hearts tenderized and made compassionate by, but by the very blood of Jesus. I mean, all of these things are the realities of belonging to him. It's what we say we experience in Christ, but Paul kind of sees this, this tension. It, it has to do with attitude. Attitude will always reveal itself in the way you get along with others. And so Paul has to say, if all of these things are true, if your attitude is somehow set by Christ, your belonging to him, your love of him, your fellowship in the spirit, your, your heart made compassionate because of Jesus, then, then, then you should somehow make my heart truly happy by living as if all of that is true. You should work together and love one another and have one mind or one purpose. You understand? There's just that tension. And Paul's writing to a church. And I'm telling you, the words that he speaks to the church at Philippi are words you could preach in any church anywhere on the planet. There's always this sort of contradiction because we continually fall short. There's always this tension between what we say we believe, what we think, what we claim in Christ, and the way we actually live our lives. And I'm telling you, it always comes out in the way you get along with other people. It doesn't do any good at all if you have all of the love of Jesus, if you're staying at home by yourself and never engaging that in the lives of other people. Your life is always about other people. So Paul raises these realities of life in Christ and then sets them up beside the tension between what they say they believe, what they answer yes to, and then the way they treat other people, the the way they get along with other people. You need a new attitude, Paul says. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. So what's his first word of advice here? What's he say there in verse 3? Don't be selfish. Does that work? Y'all know any selfish people? Just glance down your pew and, and, and are you sitting by any selfish people? Selfish people on your pew. Do you know selfish people? Does it help just to tell selfish people not to be selfish? Has that ever worked? Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. We are selfish. I mean, the problem is we're selfish. All of us. To be selfish just simply means I think about myself. And everybody here thinks about themselves. We're selfish people. We're self-centered people. If I right now were to take out a camera and take a, a large, if we all got together, uh, you, know, you know, 200, 300 of us, we got together one big picture, 300 people in a picture, and, and I took the picture and then I gave you a copy of it, who's the first person you'd look for? 
300 people in the picture, but who's the first person you look for? You. Yeah. Who's the first person I'll look for? Me. It's just the way our minds are, are trained to think. That's our attitude, and it's primarily selfish. It really doesn't work to tell people not to be selfish. You need a new focus. You need somehow to, to decenter yourself from your attitude, to decenter yourself from your focus. We only focus on ourselves, but it's very, very difficult for us to shift that focus. Let's just be honest. It doesn't really necessarily work just to tell me not to be selfish. There's a group of school teachers who uh, were required to go through a six-week course in first aid. So the school teachers were all together. This was uh, pretty much on their own time. They had to give up time from, from at the end of the long school day to, to go through the course, and they uh, did that. There was one woman in particular who was particularly belligerent about this course. She resented the fact that they were forcing her to do it. Uh, she was just there, but, but only there, not really participating. She would uh, look at her phone. She would roll her eyes. She would sigh. She'd go through her purse. I mean, she just did everything except pay attention. She was obviously not wanting to be there, obviously letting everybody know she didn't want to be there. I mean, she wanted nothing to do with this first aid course. And then one day, one day, I mean, somewhere in these six weeks, somewhere about, you know, past the halfway point, I mean, she was different. I mean, she was different. I mean, she came in, she had a notebook that was red, you know, like the Red Cross. I mean, she had like, like a notebook and she was taking notes and she was all up in this course. Like all of a sudden something changed. So the instructor who had been brought from outside, the instructor at the end of one of the courses said, listen, I, I just want to ask you, what's different? There's something visibly different about you. When we started this course, you know, you were always looking at your phone. You were always going through your purse. I mean, you wanted nothing to do with anything that I was teaching. But now all of a sudden, you seem very engaged. So what, what made the difference? She said, I'll, I'll tell you what made the difference. She said, about a week ago, there was a multiple car pile up right in front of my house. And I pulled up right as it had happened. I got there before the police and the first responders, and it was horrible. She said there were people coming out of their cars. There were people laying in the cars. She said there were people crying out for help. I mean, she said there were, there were bodies and, and, and blood just everywhere. And she said that it really overwhelmed her for a moment. But then she said, then I remembered this class. I remembered everything I've been learning and, and I could see the people and I could hear him screaming for help. And then it, it all started coming back to me what I needed to do. And so I sat down real fast and I put my head between my legs. And then about the time I started feeling better, they had it all cleaned up. Okay, y'all get that, right? Y you understand that, that she was thinking that the first aid was all for her. Yeah, there's bodies and blood and people screaming for help, but she knew what she needed to do. She put her head between her legs, you know. Understand how we do that? Even as a church, sometimes we, we sort of make it all about ourselves, all about us, as if Jesus died on the cross so that we could just come to church and, and sing songs and make it all about ourselves. It's, it's not about ourselves. It's not about us. Don't be selfish, Paul says. 
But it really doesn't work just to tell selfish people not to be selfish because there's something about the selfishness in me. I don't exactly know how to turn it off. You don't necessarily know how to turn it off either. We need this new focus, but honestly, the new focus only comes when we have an example. And so Paul says right here, verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Okay, so if you need a new attitude, then, then the only place to go for that attitude is the only one who ever had a good attitude, the only unselfish person who's ever walked this planet, and his name is Jesus. You need the same attitude that Jesus has. And, and then Paul sort of sings a hymn. It's, it's an amazing sort of passage of Scripture. It's obviously a, a poem or a hymn that, that the church at Philippi would know. And, and so Paul quotes it. Paul reminds them what they know about Jesus. Now, notice what he says. This is Jesus' attitude. It's displayed, of course, in how he treats others, how he behaves. And this is what Jesus did. Though he was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave, of a servant, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is where you get your new attitude right there. Now, you notice first that Jesus has this amazing movement. It's downward mobility, which is the opposite of everything we're trained to desire. His direction is downward. While everybody else is trying to get to the top, Jesus goes downstairs. He, he, he makes this amazing descent to the bottom. He's not trying to get above people. He just goes ahead and moves below people. And he was God. You understand? He had all of the prerogatives, all of the authority, all of the power of being God. But he empties himself. He gives that up. He does not consider his power, his authority, his position, his status. He doesn't consider everything that belongs to him as something that necessarily he's got to cling to. He just lays it down for the sake of saving us. Do you see that? For the sake of the world, for the sake of others, for, for the sake of everybody else, Jesus just gives it all up. Now, understand, this happens from a position of strength. Jesus being in the very nature of God, that's where it starts, did not consider this equality with God something that he had to hold on to. He, he gave that up. It starts from strength. Sometimes when you preach this passage, sometimes when you read this passage, there are people who get the idea that what Jesus is saying is you need to be a doormat. You need to be the lowest. You need to just think of yourself as the worst. You need to think of yourself as, as the least important. And understand that this is a, a little more complicated than that. It's not that Jesus thinks of himself as, as the doormat. It's not that Jesus doesn't understand that Jesus has a low self-esteem. Jesus knows who he is. And he knows what's coming to him, and, and he knows everything that rightfully belongs to him. But he voluntarily gives that up. It's not something he has to prove. It's not something he has to fight to hold on to. He's comfortable with who he is, comfortable enough just to give it all up. Now, understand, 
So we're not talking about having a low self-esteem here. We're not talking about being a doormat. We're talking about understanding who you are in Christ, to my understanding who you are as a son of, a daughter of God because of Jesus, a recipient of grace, someone with all the righteousness and, and, and everything that pertains to Christ now pertains to you. You understand, you know that. It's not about somehow thinking of yourself as, as, as low. It's, it's, it's a voluntary position. It's something that you choose from a position of strength. Like Jesus, you're supposed to have that attitude. So Jesus lays everything aside for the sake of serving others, for the sake of becoming a servant, for the sake of our salvation. Servanthood. This is the attitude that Paul is impressing upon us. You need to choose to be a servant like Jesus chose to be a servant. You serve others. You serve others. That's your position. That's your purpose. You just lay everything aside and you start living for others. Look what he says. Don't look out only for your own interests. Take an interest in others too. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as, as better than yourselves. Put their needs ahead of yours. How, how, good at, how good at being a servant are you? I mean, we're all believers. I'm, I'm assuming we're all believers for, for the sake of argument here. If Christ is every one of our example, then, then honestly, we should have a congregation full of people who are just, it's a race to outdo to see who can, who can outserve the others, who can outlove the others. How, how's that race going? How about just at your house? I'm assuming that in most of our marriages, we've got a husband who loves Jesus and a wife who loves Jesus, and both of them then are supposed to serve the other one. How's that going? Who's the real servant at your house? Would you be able to determine that? Who's the real servant? Because I can tell you right away, and I don't even know where you live, but I can tell you who the servant is at your house. It's the one who scrubs the toilet. It's the one who scrubs the toilet. That's the servant. Everybody else acts like they don't, they don't even know what the flusher's for, you, you know? Everybody else acts like they couldn't possibly even, even you know, squeeze, it, squeeze the, the tidy bowl bottle. You know, they, they can't do that. They, they're not able to take the brush and make this motion, you know? I mean, the person who is the servant is the one who serves, and honestly, although all of us are supposed to have the same attitude and we all have the same example from Jesus to follow, some of us just aren't working very hard at following that example. We really would rather be served. So let's be honest, we'd rather be served. Yeah, it's the same way even when we come to church. I mean, I love you all, but let's be honest, we're, we are not all coming at this with a servant attitude. Who are the servants at this service? 830 service, Woodburn Baptist Church on a Sunday morning. Who are the servants this morning? Everybody lost an hour of sleep last night. It's the time change. Everybody's spraying forward. I lost more than an hour, y'all. I don't know if y'all do this, but I laid awake like all night, you know, watching that hour. You know, I, I was worried about missing the hour. I didn't want, I, I, like, I trust my iPhone to flip itself forward, but I probably need to watch it to make sure that happens. So, so I just kept waking up and looking, you know, and then I would think, how will I know? You know, how will I know? Because it's going to be dark no matter what. How do I know if it skipped the hour? You know, so I laid awake, you know, worrying about the hour. So we all did. We're tired this morning. We're, we're sleepy. So who are the servants? 
Yeah, nursery workers. They missed an hour too, you know? I mean, nursery workers, our children's workers, it's one of the servant positions in our church. And honestly, because it's a servant role, that's why we're almost all the time saying we need more nursery workers. Nobody wants to change diapers. When's the last time you changed one? Man, you know, my son's 23. It's been a long time. When I babysit other people's kids, I just sort of hope they hold it. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, I just, you know, I, you know, I break open a Pampers, you know. Uh, most of us try to avoid that sort of actual work, you know, taking care of somebody else's kids. They had kids, let them take care of their own kids. You know, that's not how Jesus thinks. That, that's not how Jesus behaves. So why is it so difficult to get people at church, everyone following the same example of Jesus, why is it so difficult to get us to serve? Why is it so hard? Well, Brother Tim, when I get to church, I like to sit with my family. Yeah, every nursery worker in the nursery this morning would like to be sitting with their family too, but they've chosen to serve. This is how we do when we follow Jesus' example, we put other people's needs ahead of our own. We would decide, you know, everybody likes to be with their family. I'm going to go keep the nursery and let somebody sit with their family today. You know, that's serving. There's something about a good example in serving. It, it makes you want to imitate it. And that's why Paul says, look at Jesus. Look how Jesus serves. If you look at the people who follow after Jesus, you can often get good examples too. In this church, I've often seen really good examples of serving. For all I've said this morning, you, you, you all continue to inspire me to be a better man because of the way you serve others. I, I love that about you. All through the years, you know, Joe Neal Balance makes me want to be a better man. He is constantly taking care of other people. Marie Smalling. It, it doesn't matter what the need is or where I go, how fast I try to move. If, if I get there, Marie Smalling's usually been there before me with a, with a blackberry cobbler. You know, where does she pull those out of? I don't even understand. You know, it's hot, you know, and, and amazing. It's serving. You put other people's needs more important than your own. Best example I've seen this morning was was Kiana Moore, who stood right here in this spot in a black dress and led worship. Y'all know why she's wearing a black dress? Because she's going to bury her mama tomorrow. Kiana's going to bury her mother. She's going to leave this service and go to the visitation for her mother. Kiana's mother was in a car accident over a year ago. She's been paraplegic, and she's never come home. Kiana's been taking care of her teenage brother for the solid years, just taking care of her brother and praying for her mother. Kiana fought so hard to get her mother moved to Bowling Green and then moved to Scottsville to be closer to home. Kiana's mother died this week. And she showed up this morning and led you in worship. Now, let's flash back. Y'all remember how y'all sang? Maybe it's just my attitude that stinks, you know, but you're singing stunk. Y'all, let's just say it. You're singing stunk this morning. What was it with you? Well, why couldn't you be bothered to sing? You know, standing on the promises, why couldn't you sing that? Well, you know, because you lost an hour of sleep. 
You know, you don't feel much like seeing this when Kenna Moore stood right here and led you in worship and you couldn't be bothered to sing. That's just serving. I can't believe she showed up. She showed up just to serve. Just just hear the words that she's saying. Maybe your blessings come through raindrops. Healing comes through tears. Y'all, that's an example in serving. That's, That's just Christ. She put the needs of this church ahead of her own needs. And, and I'm telling you, I mean, she got an excuse today. What's your excuse? What makes you think that you never have to serve? What makes you think that you never have to scrub the toilet? What makes you think you never have to flush? Well, what makes you think that you can just go through life and other people will come along behind you and, and clean up your mess? What makes you think that you never have to do anything hard? What makes you think that other people should always consider you? Why do you walk around with hurt feelings all the time like you're the only one with feelings? What is wrong with your attitude? Is there any comfort in belonging to Jesus? Is is there any encouragement from his love, any fellowship in the spirit? Is your heart tender and compassionate? Then love each other. And work together. I mean, this is what Paul is saying. It's the attitude of Jesus that you follow. And we all have the very same example. So why is it that somehow most of us look nothing like Jesus when he's our example? Well, Brother Tim, you didn't know my daddy. I guess I'm just like my daddy. You know, my daddy was kind of rough, and I guess I'm a little bit rough. Well, let me tell you, sir, your daddy's not your example. It's not your example. It's not an excuse that because your daddy was rough. That you, I mean, yeah, you're rough too. We all agree. But, but we're asking you to, to imitate Jesus who really wasn't known for his roughness, but known for his servanthood. So how do you know, how do you know, is there any sort of test of your servanthood quotient? Is there a way to measure yourself? Is there a report card to let you know what kind of servant attitude you have? Well, actually, I'm glad you asked because there is. Uh, I, I would say it this way. The best way to test your servant attitude is to watch what happens when people treat you like one. Watch what happens when people treat you like one. Most of us are happy to help people if they appreciate us, right? Appreciate us. You know, I've done it for you several times, but honestly, I I feel taken advantage of. And so from now on, you can just do it for yourself. Yeah, I mean, you say that kind of thing, right? You know, I'm tired of it. I'm just tired. I have done it and I've done it and I'm done with you people. I'm just done. Tired, tired of not being appreciated. You know, well, you know. Nobody thanks servants. I mean, your attitude's like Jesus who made himself a slave, it says. And, and as I recall, nobody sent Jesus a thank you note after Calvary. And nobody's sending cards of appreciation to servants. And the fact that you're always looking for that is probably a pretty good sign that your attitude's not quite there yet. Y'all, I, I'm bad about this. I'm preaching to y'all like I'm really something. I sometimes struggle with this. I, I do. I, I tell myself I like to serve people, that, that I want to be a servant, but then people treat me like a servant, and I'm just like, mmm, mmm. Yeah. 
I had this family once. Uh, they're not in a church. They're actually just in our community. God bless them. I love them. Um, one night, it was the middle of the night, like 2, 3 in the morning, and they called. And, and you always call me if you need me. I'm not telling this story so people won't call me. I want you to call me. They called me at 2, 3 in the morning. It was pouring down rain. And, and they said, Pastor Tim, Mama's in the hospital, and they called the family in. I said, really, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't even know she was sick. They said, yeah, they called the family in, and we know you're not our pastor, but you're just like family. I said, I'll be there. I'll be there. So I got up. I I put some pants on and and got in the car and drove all the way to the hospitals, pouring down rain. I I got in there. It was probably 3 o'clock, 3.15. There was no family there kind of looking around, and I went in the room, and I knew mama, you know, their mama, and, and there she was. Sure enough, she was sick. Y'all, she's pretty sick, but she wasn't dying. She's there. No family. Like, the, like the words were, they called the family in, and you're just like family. But y'all want to know the truth? That family didn't go. They decided that it was raining, and Brother Tim's almost like family. Let's call him. So they sent me, and they all stayed home in bed. Do do, do I sound, you know, a a little bit unappreciated? I called them. I said, where are y'all? She said, well, Pastor Tim, you know, it's raining, and I don't drive well at night. You you know, I I mean, well, you know, and, you know, I'm in my gown. You know, I was in my gown, too. (laughs) You know? What am I, your slave? You know, Brother Tim, you're just like family. They called the family in. Families don't stay home, but you go. Yeah, you know, that, that just burnt me. You know, gosh, no appreciation, no thank you, you know. The best way to test your servant attitudes is to watch what happens when people treat you like one. It's not about being appreciated, y'all. It's about following Jesus' example. It's, it's not about whether or not people will, will take advantage of you or not because people will. They're selfish. A lot of times they don't even know what they're doing. So don't take it personally. That's how they treated Jesus. And if you're going to follow Jesus, they're going to treat you like they treated Jesus. And, and the idea is you just be the very best servant you can be after Jesus. You put their needs ahead of your needs. You, you know what? You know, I got back home and back in my gown, and it didn't matter. I made a trip to Bowling Green in the rain. <laughs> it doesn't matter. They chose not to go be with their mama. I went and prayed with their mama, you know I mean? It doesn't matter if they appreciate that or not. I, I just did that because I want to I serve. I want to be like Jesus. You, you let this mind be in you, the same one that, that, that was in Christ Jesus. So, so you have this example to follow. Is that enough? I mean, we said, Paul says, don't be selfish. I said, I don't know if that's enough with selfish people. I know, I know from the inside what a selfish man, it doesn't always work to say, don't be selfish. I don't know necessarily that a good example works either. I mean, we see Jesus and, uh, and all the people I mentioned, Marie and Joe Neal and Kiana, but, but, you know, for the most part, you know, we just let them go right ahead and serve us. And it requires more, doesn't it? I mean, we need this new focus. We need this example. But honestly, I, 
I need a new heart. I mean, attitude is not just, it's not just as simple as choosing one thought over another, y'all. I mean, this is coming from deeper in me, and, and it's the heart of me that needs to change. And I can't change my own heart. You can't either. I mean, when you talk about change, when you talk about deep change, personal change, heart change, that's spiritual work. And, and only this Holy Spirit can do that work. Only Christ himself can, can do the heart surgery that's required to make me an unselfish man. That's why I love the way Paul wraps it up. Verse 12, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now I'm away. It's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Paul's assumption is you're saved, and that means God's doing his work inside of you, and and that's inward. But now you need to work to let what's in you make its way to the outside. You need to somehow live your life in a way where it becomes a little more evident that God is at work in you. So work hard to let those results show. Now, verse 13, for God is working in you, giving you two things, giving you the, say it, desire and the power to do what pleases him. So God gives me two things. He first gives me the desire and then the power. Now, understand, if all he gave me was power, that wouldn't help me at all. I don't know how well y'all know me, but it's not just having power to do things. I need the want to, to do things. And and the, the, the honest truth is I don't always want to serve other people. I don't always want to be the one that has to go to work and do the hard thing. I don't always want to get out of my warm bed and put somebody else's mother ahead of my own needs. I don't always want to do those things. And even though Christ would pour all of his power into my life, if he hasn't adjusted my want-tos, if he hasn't literally given me the desire to be a different kind of person, to live in this world in a different way where I think of others before I think of myself, understand, he's got got to give me that desire first. And he does that. This is the promise. He gives us the desire. He gives me the want to. He gives me the want to, the, the, the desire to serve him, the desire to do what pleases Jesus. He gives me both the desire and the power. And this is what Paul says. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So let me say this, and this is kind of the heart check this morning. This is what I want you to consider. If you have no desire to do what pleases God, then God is not at work in you. Let's start right there. It's what Paul says. God is at work in you, giving you the desire to do what pleases him. So if you're sitting here this morning and you have no desire... No desire, no want to whatsoever to do anything for anybody other than yourself and your own family, maybe. If you have no desire, you really need to consider the fact that God is not at work in you because this is what God does. You don't necessarily want to live like any different, but this is what I'm telling you. When Jesus is in you, he changes your want to's. He changes them. So if you have no desire to do what pleases God, then God is not at work in you. And if God is not at work in you, then God is not in you. If you have no desire whatsoever to be more like Jesus, 
I'm not sure he's in you. Have you considered that? I mean, remember, Paul starts this whole conversation with sort of this this contradiction between what they say they experience in Jesus, but then what is evident in the way they live their lives. It comes right down to it. Your attitude is something I I don't really know about. I, I can't judge your attitude. I can't see your attitude. But we can all see how you treat people. We can all see how you put yourself first in everything. If you're the kind of person that always has to be first, always has to be taken care of, then that's not much like the example of Jesus. And if you're comfortable living a life that looks nothing like Jesus, you probably need to really reconsider whether or not you belong to Jesus at all. If he's in your heart, he goes to work. And when he's working, he gives you a new desire and a new power to do what pleases him. And what pleases him is when a person like you, a person like me, just lays everything down that belongs to us. We just put it all away. We don't have to be first. We don't have to be rich. We don't have to be appreciated. We have to be important. We just give all that up for the sake of others. Jesus gave up everything for the sake of others. You and I need to have the same attitude. Pray with me. Jesus, I I know that the word said that you have the name that is above every name, that that, that you are the most important, the the most exalted. Lord, you are the one that matters. But, But Lord, in my life, the one that often matters the most is the is the man whose teeth I brush, the the man whose hair I comb, the man I look at in the mirror, Lord. I, I somehow can't get past the fact that I am very important, Lord. Help me to lay that down. Help me, Lord, to not so much think of myself as nothing or think of myself as low, but just sort of think of myself less. Think of other people more. Help me, Lord, not to worry about my needs because, Lord, I know that you will take care of my needs. Lord, you have put me in this world with the purpose to take care of other people's needs. So, so Lord, help us to find our purpose in the lives of others, to find our purpose, Lord, in, in you and in following after your example of being a servant. Lord Jesus, make us willing and, and desiring and able to serve others. Lord, let us start right here in this house, at church, Lord, in the parking lot as we begin to fight for parking places, as we circle, Lord, to beat one another to the exit. Lord, help us to put others, Lord, ahead of ourselves. When it comes to taking care of the babies here at church, Lord, or passing out the bulletins or doing the servant jobs, Lord, will you not raise up a family of servants here, people who follow an example of a servant, Jesus? Lord, when we go home, Lord, forgive us for sitting in our chair and belting out orders. Lord, forgive us for sitting around waiting for somebody else to do what nobody wants to do. Just make us to be servants. Lord Jesus, make us to follow your example. 
Lord, some of us would do more for you if we wanted to, but the truth of the matter is, Lord, we just don't want to, Lord. So this morning, we're begging you to change our want-tos, change our desires, Lord. Jesus, you are in us and at work in us, Lord. So make sure that all the results of your work in our lives begins to make it to the outside and, and the way we treat other people. Help us, Lord, to consider the reality of our lives with you. Help us to make sure, Lord, that that reality begins to make its way out in the everyday way we treat people. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, but for the sake of others.